Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Doug Brignoli. I will tell you about Doug here in a second. But before I do, I just want to say that the information that I've learned from Doug and his book has been a lot of the foundation of my classes and how I teach and what I believe in with fitness. I was first exposed to like biomechanics and how physics influences the body and exercise after physical therapy school, kind of in my first job. And I was yearning for more to learn even more about it because I knew like what it's, it's like one of those things that the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know. <laughs> and so after I was exposed to it, I was really digging, digging, digging. And I came across this book, The Physics of Resistance Exercise, and it is so, so good. And it's his book is a lot of like, oh, that just makes sense. <laughs> so I wanted to bring him on the podcast. I was thrilled that he agreed. And we had like a conversation for like an entire hour. But I do want to say that Doug is different than a lot of the guests that I bring on. You know, he has a history of bodybuilding. He's in that world. He works with a very different type of person than I work with. But as he said later in our conversation, a muscle is a muscle no matter who you are. Everybody's deltoids functions pretty much the same. Everybody's quad functions pretty much the same. So it's like no matter who you are, physics play a role in your body and it's important to understand. And that's uh, kind of what we talked about in this conversation. Now, we talked for a long time and what I decided to do, because there was so much goodness from our conversation, I decided to kind of uh, cut this podcast into separate parts. So this first part will be, we're talking about like functional exercise and, um, and then we will do kind of subsequent parts after this week. So Doug is super impressive. He is former Mr. America and Mr. Universe bodybuilding champion. <laughs> and he has a competitive trajectory that lasted over 40 years. He started competing at the age of 16 and won his second Mr. Universe title at the age of 59. He is now like 62 and he seriously looks like he's in his like late 30s. It is incredible. Doug is the author of The Physics of Resistance Exercise, a book that I love. And this book is endorsed by 10 PhD scholars and three orthopedic surgeons. So this guy knows his stuff. He has been an avid student of biomechanics, physics, and anatomy since the beginning of his bodybuilding career. The insights that Doug brings are seriously game-changing, and they're causing the entire resistance training industry to kind of reevaluate a lot of the dogmatic principles and misguided beliefs that it's held for nearly a century. And I think a lot of the things that I've learned from him were super eye-opening and ultimately helped shape a lot of what I believe and educate on now. Here is my conversation with Doug Brignoli. There's so many topics that I want to talk to you about because I have read your book, like I said, cover to cover, and everything that you say is just gold. It makes so much sense. And quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that you've talked about is something that I've been craving to learn in the fitness industry. I've been in the fitness industry for like 12 years. And it wasn't until I came across your stuff that I was really like, this is what is missing in the yeah. fitness industry. So to you, what, what is the biggest kind of fitness myth that you think everyone should be re-educated about? Wow. It's hard to select one. <laughs> well, let's, there, we could do a couple. There's so many, you know, um, it's, it, it surprises me 
that, like you said, that that's been missing for so long because it should be obvious that the body is made up of levers. And that means anytime that you apply resistance to the limbs, that physics is going to play a role in how that weight, that resistance gets, gets magnified or, or diminished um, to the muscle that's moving that limb. It should be obvious. But, you know, my background, you know, started off in bodybuilding, which unfortunately has its roots in powerlifting. And obviously, the majority of those guys are men, and they're very egocentric, egocentric in a way that wants them to think that they're very strong and can lift very heavy weights. Um, and from a muscle building standpoint, the muscle doesn't even know what you're lifting. It only knows how much load it's getting. And how much load is getting is a factor of the weight you're moving times the length of the levers that are moving it times the angle of those levers relative to the direction of resistance. So you, you can stand vertically with a 500 pound barbell on your back and no muscles are loaded because all your limbs are vertical. They're all in the neutral position. And yet you're feeling the weight of 500 pounds on your back. You're feeling the compression. Heck, you could, you could get at the very top of parallel bar dips, same thing, and not move. Just suspend yourself with your arms and it feels strenuous and yet nothing is loading, which means nothing is benefiting. Right. So when those limbs start to get closer and closer to horizontal, they start getting the bigger percentage of the weight you're using. That means most of our exercises should utilize horizontal limbs for the target muscle that's moving that limb so that we can minimize how much weight we have to use and get the most amount of load for the muscle and the least amount of skeletal strain. Yes, exactly. Well, what's interesting to me that I would like you to touch on a little bit more is that a lot of these like quote unquote gold standards in the fitness industry are a derivative of more tradition rather than science. Is that something that you've kind of found in, in throughout your career? It's, it's complete dogma. It's complete bias. Um, but what's more fascinating is that you'll get exercise science physiologists who have a bias and they're unaware they have a bias. And so what they'll try to do is they'll try to find a justification for an exercise that's inefficient in terms of the way it loads muscles. And they try to find a rationale to support it instead of asking themselves whether it's a good exercise worth doing at all. Yeah. And, and what my yeah. approach has been is cost benefit, right? So I want the least cost. Call me lazy, call me stingy, call me whatever you want to call me. But if you're buying a house, you don't want to pay more for the house. You want to pay less for the house. So instead of bragging about how much weight you lifted, which is what most guys try to do, they could and should be bragging about how much muscle load they got with how little weight it took to get it. Totally. Totally. So in that vein, let's talk about functional, functional movement, functional exercise, compound movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's very popular in our industry and you kind of alluded to how it's maybe not necessarily at like as effective as some other options. Can you talk about your opinion on functional exercise and if there's a place for it? Right. Well, I think the first thing that has to be understood is that the fitness industry is hyper-commercialized. 
So that means that everyone is looking for a way to get to distinguish themselves from their competitors and to say what I do is better than what my competitors do. So the functional fitness thing happened because the, the word functional is, a, is an appealing word, right? Everyone wants to improve their function, right? So the misleading aspect of that is when you say, I'm a functional trainer, it suggests that the other trainers aren't. It suggests that the other trainers are cosmetic trainers, but there's no such thing as cosmetically working a muscle. In other words, any exercise that you do with resistance challenges that muscle. And that muscle will adapt to the resistance to the challenge by getting stronger, i.e. more functional, right? And if you know you, you push it hard enough, it'll get bigger. And that may be your goal is to make it bigger. But you, you, you can't make a muscle be challenged with weight and have it only be cosmetic. So um, it's, it's a misnomer to even say the word functional exercise, except for the fact that if you're training for a particular sport, um, it may benefit you in, I'm going to throw this word out, proprioceptive, which means that there's a certain um, skill to that movement. And that when you do that movement, you learn the skill that then you can apply similarly to the sport that mimics that exercise. Okay, so those are the exceptions to the rule where you would say, I'm strengthening the muscle, but I'm strengthening it in a way that mimics what I do on the field so that when I apply that on the field, then I, I gain both benefits. But most of the people that pursue fitness or just wanting to be stronger aren't trying to be a world-class tennis player. A lot of people, I think, are miseducated about this because like you said, just kind of putting all everything together that you said, the more I squat, the more I deadlift, the more I bench press, the better I will be, which you're suggesting maybe it's not about the dumbbell size or the weight that you're holding on your back. Well, here's what happens is any, let's just say you're doing a squat. Um, all of the muscles that are participating in that squat, the quadriceps, the glutes, the adductors, the hamstrings, the erector spinae, the calves, the soles, all the muscles that are working are working um, at the degree that the mechanics of that particular exercise requires. They don't know whether other muscles are working at the same time. They don't care. There's no additional benefit to each of those participating muscles just because other muscles are working at the same time. All those muscles know is that they have a task to do. For example, the quadricep have to extend the knee and the degree to which they will be challenged to extend the knee will have nothing to do with how hard the gluteus is working. It has everything to do with the angle of that lower leg and the length of the lower leg times the weight that's on the back and all of the physics involved in that. So, you know, it's naive to assume that all of the muscles that participate in a compound exercise are all being worked optimally, right? Because that would be just way too convenient, yes. right? It just doesn't quite work that way, right? So every muscle works um, to the degree that the mechanics of that exercise requires. And in some cases, that's much less than that muscle can handle. And in some cases, it's much more than that muscle can handle, which means now you're straining that muscle and the other muscles are getting short shift. Yeah. So it just doesn't, it doesn't, you can add, you can work all of the muscles separately and strengthen them all 
And the sum of the parts will be better than if you try to work them all simultaneously. And you'll have less joint strain in the process. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because Can each you- joint, each muscle has its unique biochemical requirements. Right. So, for example, um, the glutes and the quads require a different direction of resistance. So the idea that you're going to use one exercise to work both of those muscles means that they're both getting half as good of physics as they could get because they're sharing the one single direction of resistance. So they would both be compromised to some degree. If you work the quads by themselves and the glutes by themselves, you could choose the exact direction of resistance, the exact range of motion, the exact early phase loading, all the other parameters that 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 determine how good, how productive that exercise is for the muscle, and they would get more benefit than they yes. would get during a compound movement. And you can use less resistance right. and see greater benefit because in less strain to the skeleton, like you and said. And hate the exercise less. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I talk about that all the time. I'm like, have you ever heard of in the fitness industry, people are like, oh, if you hate this exercise, it it means you need it. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? Total BS. Yeah. Total BS. Yeah. Well, in, in, with men, men actually oftentimes like squats because it tests their manliness. I always say if something feels just overall hard, then are you being specific enough with that muscular effort? Or are you just spreading yourself in all these different body parts and maybe not getting as much benefit? as you would, like you said, if you were just to separate out each muscle group on their own. Well, there's a, there's a mentality that believes the more, the better, the harder you work, the better, right? So um, the more grueling it is, the more sacrifice you make, the better. And that's false, flat out (laughs) false, flat out false. Okay. So when you're working with a squat, let's say, let's say you're trying to do as heavy weight as you can for a set of six reps. And I've seen girls doing this too, right? So, you know, they will be causing so much stress, systemic stress to their body that their body starts to produce cortisol. The body starts to feel an energy crisis, which puts it into a catabolic state. Now, some people have heard that the squats, heavy squats or whatever, intense squats, Um, makes the body produce more testosterone. Well, first of all, (laughs) people should ask, well, why does it do that? And how long does it do it? And for how much does it do it? I mean, it's not an on or off switch. It's not like you do the squat and all of a sudden you get this huge boost of testosterone. You get the testosterone, which is an anabolic. You get that increase as a result to the catabolic effect. And probably only enough to offset the catabolic effect because your body wants to maintain equilibrium, Mm -hmm. right? So it's very short-lived. It's a very small amount. It's only being triggered because you're creating this crisis in your body. You're not getting ahead with it. You're just barely breaking even. Wow. That's so, that's something I had never considered. You're stressing your body to the point where it's releasing all these stress hormones and the increase in testosterone could just be to swing you the other way to get you back to baseline. I just to find equilibrium and try to put out the fire. Wow. Yeah. That I had never considered that. That's so fascinating. And now they've yeah. done a formal study that has shown that people who did squats uh, and who measured a slight increase in testosterone got no better anabolic benefit than those who didn't. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, you're going through all this extra pain, quote unquote, 
or toughness or hardness for, for what? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, people are so afraid to be lazy. People are so for their, their, because they don't understand the physics aspect of this. Um, they just think the only barometer is how hard the workout is. But that isn't, is not only the best barometer, the only barometer, it's not the best barometer. It's a very misleading barometer. So, um, uh, you, first of all, we can overtrain. Uh, and at the very least, overtraining wastes time and effort and could also cause a consequence. But at the very least, I mean, people should be asking, what is the least I can do to get the best result? Yeah. That's what they should be asking. We do that in all other areas of our life. Like, what's the least I can do to get the right. best benefit? Except when it comes to exercise, we are so ingrained right. that harder is better, longer is better, sweatier is better, more calories are better. But da da da. Yeah. If, if let's just say you're doing 15 sets for a muscle group, let's say 15 sets for legs, you automatically think 20 would be better, and yeah. you're striving to get to 20, not realizing that you're getting farther and farther from what is actually good. Yeah. which is less. Yes. So there is part one of my conversation with Doug. Like I said, I know he's very different than some of the guests that I've brought on in the past, but I really hope that you will learn from him. And I cannot wait to release the rest of our conversation in subsequent podcasts. For now, have a great week and we will see you all next Thursday.